0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective. This is the Theology Central podcast, making theology central. Good morning everyone. It is Friday, December the 23rd, 2022. It is currently 12:17 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, outside, It is a bitterly cold December morning. It is nine degrees here in West Texas. Well, eight degrees to be exact. Eight degrees outside right now at once again, 1217 a.m. Central Time. Eight degrees currently here in West Texas. So I know I, I have to just keep saying that not for your benefit But for my benefit, I have to I have to keep saying that so that I will know that it's actually eight degrees outside because everything in my mind says that cannot be real. That can't be the way it is. I don't want it to be that way. I don't want it to be eight degrees. I want I want it to be 70 degrees. I don't want it to be freezing cold. I don't want it to be. But sometimes what we want is not the reality that we are given, or that we have to face, or that we have to experience. Sometimes there can be a very big difference between what we want to be true, what we hope to be true, what we want to be real, and reality itself. And right now, at this early morning hour here in West Texas, the reality is it's bitterly bitterly cold outside. Whether I want to accept it, whether I want to believe it, that's the reality of it. And if you've been listening to this podcast over the last few months, maybe, maybe throughout most of 2022, I have grown increasingly bothered. I have grown tired. I, I have become fatigued. I have become irritated with a tendency within the Christian world, to put forth a reality, to put forth an idea that is obviously false. To me, it's just as false as it would be for me to turn on this microphone and report to you that it's 70 degrees, because no matter how much I try to claim that it's 70 degrees, it's eight degrees. That's what it is outside. And within Christianity, there's this attempt, this this idea that we want to believe so much that when you become a Christian, you now have supernatural power to obey the law of God. You now have the supernatural power to say yes to God and no to sin. However, we say that, and then reluctantly, reluctantly we we will finally at some point acknowledge well i mean you have this power you can say no to sin and yes to god however and of course we're very reluctant to say it reluctantly we will say but you can't be perfect you can't be sinless well wait a minute if i have the power to say yes to god and no to sin and i have this supernatural power why is it why is this supernatural power limited why is it limited can i or can't i Christians will say, the old man is completely dead. Some will say, you're a new creature, Old, uh, the old is completely gone, and everything is new. And they mean that practically. Well, wait a minute, if the old is completely gone, that would be the eradication of the old man. The you know, old nature would be completely gone. So I should be able to be sinless. Well, I mean, okay, you're a, you're a new creature, the old is gone, everything is new, but you're still going to sin. I mean, what kind of sin? But you have the power, and it's just this weird Back and forth, double speak, but what blows my mind is that somehow we try to convince ourselves that we have this great supernatural power, and only when push comes to shove will we reluctantly finally admit, well, I mean, you're still going to sin, but 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 but, 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 but you have the power. And it's like, why can't we just be brutally honest with the reality in your life? And the reality in my life. And I purposely chose to do this episode. At this early morning hour. Because it was almost exactly 24 hours. It was almost exactly 24 hours ago. Almost at at this exact same time. I was in my bedroom. And I was listening to Redeemer Broadcasting. And I suggest Redeemer Broadcasting to everyone. You can get the app. You can listen to it online. And I believe it was right. It was, I mean, if, if it wasn't right at this moment or very close to this moment 24 hours ago, maybe it was a little bit further. I, I mean, I didn't necessarily note the exact time, but it was a, almost 24 hours to the spot that they played a little segment from the Valley of Vision. It's like a Puritan devotional where uh, it basically contains uh, prayers from the Puritans. It's a beautiful book. I have the book, I think, in the church library. And they read one of the prayers from the Valley of Vision. And as soon as they started reading it, I immediately was like, whoa. Okay, I got to find this. I got to find this. I got to find it. And I found it. And I, and I copied it over to my notes. And I was, I was really, it, it really had a massive impact on me. And the reason it had such a massive impact, and I've read the entire book, The Valley of Vision, multiple times. But for some reason, it struck me 24 hours ago because I have become so flustered and frustrated and, and fatigued by this just, double speak of Christians and this seemingly unwillingness to acknowledge just how sinful we still are, that we have a depraved heart, that we have a sinful nature. You can try to pretend, no, 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 no. That's all gone. Well, then if it's all gone, you can't, you can't play this weird game where you're like, you have supernatural power. You can say yes to, uh, to God, no to sin. The old man is gone. The, the old heart is gone, everything is new, great, go. But then at the same time, hedge your bet and say, well, we're not going to be perfect, we're going we're to sin. No, if all of that is true, sinlessness is not only possible, it's probable, it's likely, and there should be a whole lot of sinless Christians walking around, but all I've known is for 2,000 years of church history, sin, 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 sin. So when they begin to read this, I was like, wow, this just seems so real, so raw, so honest. So I told myself 24 hours later, instead of being in my bedroom, I'm going to be in my studio. And I'm going to turn on the microphone and I'm going to share it with everyone. This is from the Valley of Vision. It is called The Dark Guest. The Dark Guest. Listen carefully. I, in some ways, I would just want to read it all the way through and then take it apart. But I'll probably just read it a little bit and take each part apart. I'll probably take it apart as we move through it. Then at the end, read the entire thing and immediately end the program. I think that that'll be more powerful that way. Now, you, this may not have any impact on you. You may say, what's the big deal? It may not impact you, but what impacts me, obviously, is what I'm going to share with you. I pray that you will listen to this carefully, and I pray that it will impact you the same way it impacted are you ready? The dark guest from the valley of vision. Listen carefully. O oh Lord, bend my hands and cut them off. For I have often struck thee with a wayward will. Now that's a, a powerful prayer. Lord my hands bend my hands and cut them off. It's like break my hands, cut them off because with these hands, figuratively speaking, I have struck you with them. I have, I have struck God. I have hit God with these hands and I've done this. I have often struck thee with a wayward will. So he's using the hands figuratively of, hey, break my hands because I have struck God. I have hit God with a wayward will. When these fingers should embrace thee by faith, I am not yet weaned from all created glory. Oh, so there's so much. Here. Okay, let's read this again. Hmm. Bend my hands and cut them off, for I've often struck thee with a wayward will and when these fingers should embra- when these fingers should embrace thee by faith i am not yet weaned from all created glory honor wisdom and esteem esteem of others for i have a secret motive to i my name in all i do now this is so brutally honest. It, this is what makes this so beautiful. So let's let's go through this again. Bend my hands and cut them off for I've struck thee with a wayward will when these fingers should embrace thee by faith. In other words, my fingers should embrace thee. I should have an open hand and embrace God by faith. But in a sense, I take my hand and strike God with a wayward will. And then, and then the, the, the writer of this says, I am not yet weaned From all created glory. In other words, there's all these things in creation, and I'm not weaned from it. Instead of focusing on the creator, focusing on God, I'm still going after the created glory. I'm going after that which, instead of going for the creator, I am glorying in the creation. And he mentions some of these things. Honor wisdom and esteem of others for I have a secret motive to eye my name and all I do and everything I do. I have an eye to self. How will this make me look? What will I get from this? What, what advantage is in it for me? We strike God with a wayward will. And then we simply look for all of creation and how it will benefit me. Hmm. That's powerful. Now let's continue. Let me not only speak the word sin, but see the thing itself. Now that's a powerful prayer. Let me just not say the word sin. Let me just not call it sin. Let me see sin itself. Let me truly see it. Let me truly be honest with With it, because so many Christians are running around acting like, "Oh no, 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 no! We we can change, and we can do this, and we and and it's like they just can't be honest with the sin that's there. They'll say the word sin, but we 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 almost have a blinder to it. We can't see it even in ourselves. Give me to view a discovered sinfulness, to know that through my that that, to know that though my sins are crucified." They are never wholly mortified. Oh, what a powerful statement. Yes, in Christ, in Christ, I am crucified. In Christ, my sins have been crucified. In Christ, the old man has died. That is all literally true, positionally. So even though my sins have been crucified, they will never truly be fully mortified. They will never wholly be mortified. They will never wholly be put to death. Positionally, yes, practically, no, 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 no. It's alive. My, I, I, my, my sins are very much alive. My nature is very much alive. My sinful will, all of it is very much alive. It will never be fully mortified. Hatred, malice, ill will, vainglory that hungers for and hunts after man's approval and applause, all are crucified, forgiven, but they rise again in my sinful heart. All of that may be true, that positionally that has all died, but guess what? It's right there in my sinful heart and it rises up again again and again, and again, and again. Let me read that again. Now, this is very important. Hatred, malice, ill will, vainglory, that hungers for and haunts after man's approval and applause are all crucified and forgiven, but they rise again and again in my sinful heart. They are always there. Oh, my oh my, crucified, but never wholly mortified sinfulness. I love that. It, he, now now the, 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 the Puritan who wrote this cries out, Oh, my crucified, but never wholly mortified sinfulness. Knows that it's crucified. So it's acknowledging, in a sense, the positional reality, but at the same time acknowledging it's never, it, it, but, but never wholly mortified. It's crucified, but not mortified. The the only way to truly understand this, and I'm not saying within Puritan theology, they would have truly had that distinction between position and practice. We'd have to really dig into Puritan theology to take that apart. But I'm saying that's the only way to understand this. Whether Whether they utilize that terminology, clearly they're explaining the same concept. In one way, yes. Listen, this is so true of all of us as Christians. In one in one sense, I am a completely new creature. The old is gone and everything is new. Positionally, positionally, I am perfect. I am holy. I am without sin. Positionally, the old man is gone. The old man is dead. Positionally, I am without sin. Practically, I sin and I sin and I sin. I, I, I'm not a new creature practically. The old man is very much alive. I am a sinner. I fall short and thought, word, and deed by what I do and by what I leave undone. He goes on to say this, and again, I love that. Oh, my crucified but never wholly mortified sinfulness. Oh, my lifelong damage and daily shame. Look at that. lifelong damage and daily shame. Daily there should be shame. Daily there should be an awareness, not of just the word sin, but the thing itself. Oh, my indwelling and besetting sins. Every single one of us has indwelling and besetting sins. Every single one of us. But somehow in the minds of Christians, we claim to have all of this power and all of this ability while denying this reality. We almost... We have to so water down sin so that we can convince ourselves that we're good and that we're righteous instead of just acknowledging how sinful we are and realizing our only hope is an imputed righteousness. Our only hope is the finished work of Christ. But what we want to say is, yes, it's imputed, but, 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 but I got to do this this and this and this and this and this, and that's going to prove that I'm saved. Well, wait a minute. If you really are honest with your life, you're going to see sin here and sin here and sin here. So then you're going to try to convince yourself that you can prove you're saved with questionable good works that are always tainted by sin and that all that sin in your life you're just going to ignore to try to convince yourself that you can prove that you're saved. But what action could ever prove that you're saved? It would have to be perfection because that's what the law of God demands. Your only hope is the imputed righteousness what we have to be willing to do is cry out, listen, Oh my crucified, but never wholly mortified sinfulness. Oh my lifelong damage and daily shame. Oh my indwelling and besetting sins. Oh, the tormenting slavery of a sinful heart. The tormenting slavery of a sinful heart. There are Christians who will preach that the sinful heart is gone. It's no longer, we've been set free. But if we've been set free, then we should be able to be sinless. But the very ones who profess that we are set free are the very ones who will say, well, you can't be perfect, you're still going to sin. Well, if I, still, if I can't be perfect and I'm still going to sin, then clearly I've not been set free. I've been set free positionally, not practically. The tormenting slavery of a sinful heart. Do you really know that you are being tormented by the the, uh, the slavery of a sinful heart? Can you acknowledge that this morning? Can you acknowledge that this this evening, tonight, whatever time it may be, wherever you may live, whatever country you may be in? Do you really feel the weight of that? And one of the reasons I love hearing these words at like twelve thirty a.m., 1 a.m. in the morning, 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, is because I think sometimes... When we get away from the people, we get away from church, we get away from Christian social media, and it's just us alone with God. All the pretense is gone. There's no one to fool. There's no one to pretend. It's just you and God. You know at that moment, you know how sinful you are. You know how sinful you are. Do you truly know the tormenting, the tormenting slavery of a sinful heart? Or have you been denying it, pretending that you're not being tormented by, pretending that it's not there? Destroy, this is what the Puritan prays. Destroy, oh God, the dark guest within. The Puritan cries out. Hey, it's inside of me. Destroy it. Destroy, oh God, the hidden guest within whose hidden presence makes my life a hell. Have you ever felt that? Now, if you were to stand up in a church and and, and, and confess this, hey, I have this tormenting sinful heart and, and this, this thing inside of me, this sin in me is making my life a living hell. Someone would probably say, you're not saved. Because if you were saved, you would be doing A-B-C-D-E-F-G-H-I-J-K-O-M-N-O-P-Q-R-S-T-U-V-W-X-Y-N-Z. And, and I'm so sick of that theology because that denies the reality of the Christian life. We all continue to sin. Our only hope, my only proof of salvation is imputed righteousness. And whatever test you give me, give me to supposedly prove that I'm saved, if I take the test, I'm going to fail it. But if I give that test to Jesus, who it's his righteousness, That's imputed to my account. Jesus always passed that test. Instead of pretending that we're something we're not, I wonder if we could all acknowledge, all of us, that this dark guest within, our sinful nature, makes our life a living hell, a life of hell. Yet thou hast left thou hast not left me here without grace that is so true he's left us with the sinful nature he did not remove it he did not eradicate it he did not he destroyed it positionally but practically i'm still with it this is why paul in the end of that beautiful chapter romans chapter 7 everyone leaves this verse out Everyone knows that, okay, the things he wants to do, he doesn't do. The things he doesn't want to do, he does. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Okay, but Paul was delivered from that. No, wait, 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 wait. What's the last verse there in Romans chapter 7 that everyone seems to forget? That last verse in Romans 7? Oh, everyone who listens to this podcast knows what I'm getting ready to read. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind... I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Paul, even after all he says there, still says, I'm going to serve the law of sin with my flesh. We always forget that. But here's the great great news. Even though my life may be a living hell because of this sin within me, God has not left me here without grace. The cross still stands and meets my needs. What meets my needs? The cross. Jesus paying for my sin. That's what meets my needs. See, within modern Christianity, it's no longer Jesus saving me from my sin. It's no longer the imputed righteousness. No, 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 no. Supposedly I get power and how God is going to meet my needs is I can stop sinning. But we don't stop sinning. The old nature is still there. We give people the wrong hope. The grace is the, is the cross. The cross still stands and meets my needs in the deepest straits of the soul. I thank thee that my remembrance of it is like David's sight of Goliath's sword, which preached forth thy deliverance. The memory of my great sins, my many temptations, my falls, bring afresh into my mind the remembrance of thy great help of thy support from heaven, of thy great grace that saves such a wretch as I am. There is no treasure so wonderful as the continuous experience of thy grace towards me, which alone can subdue the risings of sin within. Give me more of it. Now, he still holds out some hope of stopping some of that sin. But the reality is he's acknowledging how sinful he is, even as a converted person. Now, it is absolutely guaranteed for the believer that the time will come and the body of flesh, the body of sin will be removed and you'll have a glorified body. No more sin. You will be conformed perfectly to the image of Jesus Christ. That's called glorification. But right now, we will sin and we will fall short. We will sin and we will fall short. And we need a brutal, a brutal honesty about what we are. Christianity sometimes is nothing more than giving lip service to an imputed righteousness. And then handing everyone out fig leaves. And then telling everyone, hey, come here. See those fig leaves? You want to dress those up really good. You want to make them really nice. You want to make sure no one can see what's underneath it. You got to, you got to, don't reveal anything. Look godly, sound godly, play the game. Now, some people play the game and seem to be okay and their conscience never bothers them. Some others constantly are aware of how sinful they are. And they're like, "I, I can't keep playing this game. Well, then many people say, I don't know what your problem is. Come on, come on. You, you changed in some way. Yeah, you're looking at artificial change that supposedly proves something. And I see that even that change is corrupted by sin and that there's a, there's a thousand other things that still are, show us a sin. So if I'm looking to my life to prove that I'm saved, I'm clearly going to prove that I'm not saved because God's law demands perfection. So instead of looking to myself, I'm going to look to the perfect righteousness of Christ and I'm going to look to the cross of Jesus Christ where my Savior died for me. And I'm going to look to his blood. That's where hope is. Forgiveness can be found. Let me read now all of this. The dark guest within. Or the dark guest from the valley of vision. I'm going to try now not to stop. I'm going to let you hear this in its entirety. Here we go. O oh Lord. Bend my hands and cut them off. For I have often struck thee with a wayward, a wayward will. When these fingers should embrace thee by faith. All right, let me read that one more time. Because I really want you to hear this. I'll try not to stop. I said I wasn't going to stop. I'll try not to stop this time. Here we go. O oh Lord, bend my hands and cut them off. For I have often struck thee with a wayward will when these fingers should embrace thee by faith. I am not yet weaned from all created glory, honor, wisdom, and esteem of others, for I have a secret motive to eye my name and all I do. Let me not only speak the word sin, but see the thing itself. Give me to view a discovered sinfulness, to know that though my sins are crucified, they are never wholly mortified. Hatred, malice, ill will, vainglory that hungers for and hunts after man's approval and applause, all are crucified, forgiven, but they rise again in my sinful heart. O oh, my crucified but never wholly mortified sinfulness. O oh, my lifelong damage and daily shame. O oh, my indwelling and besetting sins. O oh, the tormenting slavery of a sinful heart. Destroy, O oh God, the dark guest within, whose hidden presence makes my life a hell. Yet thou hast not left me here without grace the cross still stands and meets my needs in the deepest straits of the soul. I thank thee that my remembrance of it is like David's sight of Goliath's sword, which preached forth thy deliverance. The memory of my great sins, my many temptations, my falls, bring afresh into my mind the remembrance of thy great help, of thy support from heaven, of the great grace that saves such a wretch as I am. There is no treasure so wonderful as that continuous experience of thy grace towards me, which alone can subdue the rising of sin within. Give me more of it. The dark guest from the valley of vision. I hope you will give it serious thought, serious contemplation, serious meditation and really consider that we all need to be gravely honest with ourselves about our sinfulness and our failures because it's in that brutal honesty. It's when we truly see how wretched we are, when we truly acknowledge that every day, how sinful I am, then the gospel becomes sweet then the gospel truly becomes amazing then the gospel becomes a treasure that you would sell everything in your possession to have it. You would do everything to obtain it because it is sweet and beautiful. The gospel isn't, hey, 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 hey. I know you're sinful and I know you're doing all these bad things, but just hang on. I'll give you the power so that you can keep the law. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you can't keep the law. You never can keep the law. You could never prove you're saved because you are a sinner. The beauty of the gospel is that's what you are and you don't deserve anything but condemnation. But Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, came to obey the law on your behalf and to die for your disobedience to it. And by faith, his righteousness is imputed to you and your sins are given to him. So you are completely forgiven. You're declared to be perfectly righteous by faith alone, by an imputed righteousness, nothing infused. And you stand before God, holy, righteous, and perfect, because you're you're robed in that, listen, imputed righteousness. But somewhere, Christians want to take off the imputed righteousness and then put on fig leaves and say, See, see, I proved that I'm saved. Look at my fig leaves. Your fig leaves doesn't prove anything. The only thing that can prove salvation is that imputed righteousness. That's what makes this time of year really beautiful. But it's only beautiful if we understand our sinfulness. You see, if you see how wretched you are, if you really feel the weight of your sin and your disobedience, if you're willing to acknowledge how sinful you are, I mean, I've said it so many times on this podcast that all I am is a sinner sitting in front of a microphone. Man, I have let God down so many times. I have failed God. I have disobeyed every command, probably 50 different ways. I have hurt people. I have hurt the name of Christ. I have let people down. I am a sinner. I don't deserve anything but God's wrath. I don't deserve anything but hell. I don't even deserve to breathe my next breath. And that is not hyperbole. That is honesty. So when I know that and I see that and I feel the weight of that every single day, I am aware of every failure I've ever made. I'm, I'm aware of my own humiliation, my own embarrassment, my own shame. I am so painfully aware of it every single day. It haunts me every single day. But guess what? That makes this time of year so beautiful. It makes it so beautiful when I read these words. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. I'll go back to verse 18. Let's just read it all. That These words are never going to be beautiful to you until you become so aware of how sinful you are as a Christian. Not how sinful you were before you became a Christian. You always are... are, are Always, practically, still a sinner. Always sinning. If, for whatever you say, well, 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 no, I used to do that. But look at all the things you still do. You just change the kind of sins you're committing. Now, positionally, you're completely different. Practically, you're still a sinner. So then these words become very important for all of us. Matthew 1.18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Those become the most beautiful words ever uttered, the most beautiful, beautiful thing in the world when you are open about the dark guest within the sinful nature and the hundreds of ways it manifests itself all the time. Do you love the Lord that God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul? You never do. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? No, you love yourself more than neighbor. And the Old and New Testament, we're called to be holy as God is holy. We are never holy as He is holy. Do you feel the weight of that failure and that sin? Are you willing to acknowledge how much you sin? When you do, and you acknowledge the dark guest within, the grace of God, the imputed righteousness of Christ becomes a treasure. That you will cherish with everything inside of you. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Everyone, have a wonderful morning. God bless.